Amen. Amen. Would you give them one more round of applause? Thank you, guys. God bless you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Such a great reminder for us this morning that, um, you know, the church is not just an organization. The church uh, is not a club. The church is a family. The church is a family, a spiritual family on a journey together with Jesus. And it's our role, our privilege as spiritual moms and dads to each of these kids to bless them and encourage them. And you know, the difference between encouragement and blessing, they're both important. Encouragement is about coming around someone and, and, and kind of pushing them up. But blessing, this is really important, guys, as spiritual mothers and fathers to children is about speaking a word of vision and life over them. And that's the role of a spiritual mother and father is to bless, to speak life and vision over those kids just like we did and to do that with one another on a regular basis. So with that in mind, let's turn in Romans 6, speaking of blessings, and let's continue our journey together through the book of Romans. And if you're able, would you stand to your feet just in reverence for God's word? And we'll pick up in verse 15 this morning, and we're going to go into chapter 7, uh, verse 6. So Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, all the way through 7, verse 6. This is God's word to you this morning. Paul writes, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you became the slave of whatever you chose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led you even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living that you will become more holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result of that? You are now ashamed of those things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Chapter seven, now dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he's alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. And as a result, 
we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused those evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Final verse. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and we're no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. The word of God to you today. You can be seated. All right, that's a mouthful, uh, but we're gonna break it down and jump into it. And let's start here. Let's start with a place that many of you have been in the last couple of weeks or someplace like it as we enter into December. And we're two weeks away from Christmas Eve, believe it or not. Let's go to the parking lot at Costco. And let's start in Romans 6 uh, and think about lawlessness in in the parking lot at Costco. Uh, Almost every Saturday afternoon, if you know me and Jen, uh, we take our Sabbath beginning Friday night and we try to rest and reflect as best we can with three teenagers in a busy life uh, through Saturday. But part of that is going to Costco on Saturdays. And we try as best we can to make that a sacred experience, even though all of the world is pushing against that in the parking lot. But we've had a lot of sacred moments there. And you know, if you're married, you can make any place sacred. Um, and you can have a conversation meaningfully in any place. And we've proven that even in the parking lot at Costco. But last Saturday, we're on our way in. And of course, it's Saturday, it's December, and we're at Costco. And it feels like all the world is there and losing their mind collectively. And we're walking in, and Jen's a little bit ahead of me, and I just stopped dead in my tracks because I saw this bumper sticker on a car. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is our study of Romans. And this is what this bumper sticker said. In the beginning... Man created God. In the beginning, man created God. And I stood there in the parking lot at Costco and I thought, this is Romans. This is exactly what Paul has been teaching us about as we've been journeying through this book together, this letter that Paul wrote to the church, a church just like us in Rome. And he begins by talking about the reversal of God's created order, that creation begins to worship itself, other created things, animals and other things that God made instead of the creator. And so this little bumper sticker on who our friend's car there, actually this is a song lyric. It came from a band called Jethro Tall, if you remember them, back in the 70s. And the second line of the song, I didn't know this, a member of our team knew this, That's a song lyric, that's the opening line, in the beginning man created God. And the second line of the song is, and in his image man created him. Now if you know your scriptures, God creates man in his image. And he says he created male and female in his image. And this is a complete reversal of God's created order. And that's exactly what's happening in Romans 1 through most of chapter three. And just to spin you back up, you'll remember in Romans one, Paul is basically saying, again, creation begins to worship itself and they give themselves over to foolish thinking and the more they begin to worship other people and created things, the more foolish they get. And it results in all kinds of self-centeredness. Do you remember that? 
And then we get into chapter two and Paul says, and if you're judging self-centered people that are living however they want to, right? Stop for a second because many of you are living by self-righteousness. You think that it's by your goodness and your moralism that God loves you and that you have a relationship with God because you're a good little girl, you're a good little boy and you've learned to be a religious person. And Paul basically undoes all of this for us and says, the thing that that both self-centeredness and self-righteousness have in common is that we're both creating God into our image and the common denominator is what? Self, I'm at the center and I'm constructing a God to serve me instead of me worshiping and serving God. And basically the first three chapters, you can go back and read it for yourself, is Paul unpacking this and getting us to a place where there's gotta be another way to live other than self-centeredness and self-righteousness. And when we get to the end of chapter three, he introduces the good news of the gospel, that God gives us a third way that's not self-centeredness and self-righteousness. You know, C.S. Lewis said, we all miss God in two basic ways. We live however we want to. What would that be? Self-centeredness. I do whatever I want to do. I'm, I'm a hedonist. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Just get as much as you can out of life. Consume people. And some of you have been in relationships. Some of you are in relationships right now where you're being consumed physically, emotionally, and otherwise. And it doesn't feel good because you weren't created to be consumed. But when we're self-centered, we just consume everyone and everything around us. And Lewis says, of course we're missing God when we're living as a consumer. We weren't made to live that way. But he says, there's another sneaky way that we miss God. Do you remember? We feel really good that we don't live the first way. We feel really prideful that we're not like those other people that just live however they want to. And in both ways, we're missing God, Lewis says, because we're living out of self-centeredness or self-righteousness. So Paul enters in a a different way, a gospel way, a third way to get out of the boxes of self-centeredness and self-righteousness. And then from Romans 3 onward, just to catch us up to where we are, he unpacks the beauty of the gospel And what is the gospel? That Jesus did for you and for me what we could not and what we would not do for ourselves. That through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that God has fully accomplished salvation for you and for me. That's the gospel. And then Paul begins to unpack the implications of the gospel in our lives. If we truly believe that Jesus did for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves, that on the cross he paid for our sins, at his resurrection he defeated death and sin for us, if we believe that, then what difference does it make in the way that we live? And so when we get to chapter six, and Pastor Nick did a great job last week introducing this, Paul wants to talk about our relationship to the way we live and the gospel, or specifically to the law or to boundaries that God's given for life and the gospel. And he uses two questions. Look at it with me, Romans 6, verse one. He says, you know, don't you, he says, well then, don't you realize that if we keep on sinning, or should we keep on sinning so that God shows us more and more of his wonderful grace? In other words, do we just keep on living however we want to, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, so that, so that God will just give, a, give us more grace? And he says, of course not. 
And then he says the second question, verse 16 or verse 15 in Romans 6 is almost identical to verse one. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can just go on living however we want? And he says, of course not. Now, whenever you read the Bible, and especially in one chapter, when something is repeated, because repetition is a wonderful teaching tool. We have a lot of great educators in the room and you know that. Many times you just have to repeat something over and over and over again for students to understand it. And so Paul here is using repetition, these two questions, and he's saying, should we just keep living however we want to, even though God's changed our life by his grace? And he says, of course not. So he repeats this in verse 15, and then he says in verse 16, don't you realize, look at it with me, verse 16, Romans 6, don't you realize, in other words, don't you understand the power of the gospel and how it's changed your life. And what he's getting ready to do, the rest of our passage, is unpack for us the things that we have to realize in order to live, not just to be saved by the gospel, but to be journeying and living out of the power of the gospel and our new identity as sons and daughters of Christ. And so the first thing that he says, if you're taking notes, I'm gonna give you three things, okay? And I really wanna encourage you to write these down. You can do it on your phone, somewhere else, write it down. Paul says, don't you realize these three things that are implications of the gospel and how you live? And the first thing he says is, don't you realize that you have agency? What does the word agency mean? We've got a lot of gifted counselors and therapists in the room, I know, and they know this word. Agency is defined as volition or choice, or you could use the word will. So it's the ability to have control, choice, will over your life. And look at verse 16. Let me read it for you again. Paul says again, our three words, don't you realize? You need to understand this. And then he says, you become You became the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You become the slave to whatever you choose to obey. Okay, so I have a choice and whatever I choose to obey, I become like. Okay, so so let's just think about this for a second. Whatever I'm lifting up in my life, whatever is most important in my life, whatever I'm finding my identity in, the choices that I'm making to lift those things up, I'm becoming more like those said things. And Paul continues and he says, you can be, listen to the choice here. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. This is an identity. I'm gonna choose to live out of my new identity in Christ. I'm gonna choose to continue to live out of self-centeredness or self-righteousness. So God is always busy inviting us into a space where we're choosing to obey. God doesn't control us and make us obey. And this goes all the way back to Genesis, the way that God made us. God creates man in Genesis 1 at the very end of the chapter. And and God makes him the crown of his creation. And God makes him in his image over everything else in creation. And God gives him a purpose. He says, you're meant to enjoy this creation and steward it and govern over it. And then in chapter two, God gives the very first boundary. He gives the very first law, if you will. Do you remember what it is? He says, you can enjoy everything in the garden that I've created for you, except one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here's the choice. 
Here's the agency that Paul is talking about, that God made us in his image with the ability to reject him or to accept him. Let me ask you this, for those of you in friendships, if you had a friend and you sat down for coffee and they said, you know, I really don't want to be here, but I feel like our friendship obligates me to sit here and to listen. And I'm gonna give you 30 minutes because that's what it means to be a friend. I'm just gonna sit here with you. And then when the 30 minutes is up, I'm done. How does that feel as a friend? Yeah, how about if you're in a romantic relationship with someone and they don't choose at all to fall in love with you. They don't choose to spend time with you. They're obligated to do it. They feel like they have to do it. Is that love? No, God didn't create us as robots to just say, I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. As if he needs that from us. God created us in his image And the most dignified thing that God could do in creating us in his image is to give us a free will. Now, we're gonna dive deeper in part two into the intersection of our free will and God's sovereignty. And let me just say this, okay? If you think or you find someone who says they've solved the intersection of man's free will and God's sovereignty, you should walk away, okay? People have spent their entire lives writing about this and can't understand the mystery of that. If you do want to go deeper into that, just as some holiday light reading, I would um, encourage you with Norm Geisler's book, Chosen But Free. It's a beautiful work. I think it is about 750 pages, so... You should start now. And Norm's brilliant, right? And he's writing about the intersection of our choice and God's sovereignty. But one of the things that Norm talks about in there is that of course, from this passage and so many other passages in the scriptures, we can see that God created us with agency, the ability to choose or not to choose. And here's the deal, guys, okay? The enemy of your heart and my heart, and this started all the way in the garden, is always about getting us into the box. And I brought some boxes here. Maybe you have some of these boxes in your house right now. I feel like we've, we've uh, purchased one of the new Amazon trucks just with our purchases alone. Um, we have a lot of these that are lying around right now. And the boxes that the enemy is always wanting you to get into are found right in Genesis. It's a box of self-righteousness. It's a box of self-centeredness. And in the very first temptation, with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That fruit, the Bible says that it was pleasing to the sight. It looked like it was good to eat. In other words, pleasurable, immediate gratification. What does that sound like? Self-centeredness. I don't care what God says. I'm just gonna choose myself because if I don't choose myself, no one else will. And if I don't choose my happiness, I'll never be fully happy with God. That's the lie. Self-centeredness. Self-righteousness. If you eat of this fruit, you can be like God. So I think that by my choices and by my actions, I can be on par with God. I can be as good as God is by my choices. And don't you see, the very first temptation is the same temptation that's lasted ever since in our lives as well, all the way to now. It's about getting in these two boxes. And these boxes are just about existing in. So you can just have an existence of self-righteousness or self-centeredness that you don't feel like you can ever crawl out of. Now, I put, you probably can't read my handwriting, but I did put here, and now Amazon boxes, they're actually gift boxes and they have to and from. See that? Isn't that nice of them? Um, And I just wrote here, self-centeredness 
to you from Satan, okay? There's the first one. And here's the next one. This one's printed out. Self-righteousness. And it's to you. It's a gift for you, right? And it's from Satan, the enemy of your heart. And, and he's always about wanting to get you into one of these two boxes because he knows if you can get in here, you cease to live and now you're just existing. And you're either existing trying to run the treadmill of religiosity and righteousness thinking that I can do it on my own. And if I feel really good about what I'm doing, then I, I turn to pride. And if I feel really bad about what I'm doing, I, I, I turn to insecurity. And so insecurity, we've talked about this, and pride are two sides of the same coin. Or I choose self-centeredness and I just live however I want to and I'm in the box of my own choices and consequences of not living according to God's best for my life. And in both ways, I'm trapped in a box. You know, I know some of you are, are Tom Brady Patriot fans and, and all respect to you, okay? But listen, after Tom's second Super Bowl, he's, he's being interviewed by Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes. And she says to him, you know, you've got two Super Bowl rings. At this point, he's married to a supermodel. You're married to a supermodel. You're doing all the things. And, and she's going through all the accolades and all the things. And Tom's answer is, yeah, but is this all there is? Is this it? He's at the prime of his career, right? He seemingly has everything that anybody could ever want in their life. And he's saying, uh, this box is empty. And I don't feel like I can get out of it. He didn't say those words, but that's what I heard. Is this all there is? I've done all the things that the world has to offer. I've accomplished all the things. I've surrounded myself with all the things that the world says that you should consume and get. And I'm still not satisfied. I'm still not happy. The enemy always is about offering you a box to exist in. God has always watched this offering you a garden to flourish in. And so the boundaries that God puts in place as Paul talks about the law here in our passage are always meant to keep free people free. The law was never put in place for you to achieve by your self-righteousness or self-centeredness um, a relationship with God. How do I know this? God creates man in Genesis 1. It's not until Genesis 2 that he gives the first boundary in that order. God creates man and gives him a purpose, gives him dignity, blesses him, gives him a garden to walk in. The Bible says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the garden. Can you imagine that? That they walked with one another and enjoyed each other's company. And the boundary was only given after that to keep a free person free. Okay, moreover, when we fast forward hundreds of years to Moses, and Moses leads the people of God out of Egypt. And it's only after God liberates his people from physical slavery and spiritual slavery, and they're on their way to the promised land, which was a physical manifestation of all the promises of God. It's on their journey to the promised land that God takes Moses up on the mountain of God and gives him, do you remember, the Ten Commandments. He gives him the law and he finds the people what? worshiping all created things when he comes down off of the mountain. And remember, he throws the tablets down and God has to give him a 2.0 version of the law because he's so frustrated with people. What's the point? The law was given after liberation. This is so important. The law was never given to make free people free. It was never meant to be a liberator or something to live by. It was made to keep free people free. 
The boundaries were put in place to keep you walking in the garden and flourishing with God, but you have a choice in that. And God dignifies you with the ability to choose him or to disobey him. But he says the results, right, are the results of the things that we're choosing. Here's the second point. Okay, I said there was three. He says, don't you realize you have choice? And then he says, don't you realize that you're becoming? What does that mean? Look at verse 19. You're always becoming something. You're never a finished product on this side of eternity. This is what Paul is saying. Let me just read verse 19 to you again. He says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm just gonna use an illustration of slavery. And then he says, previously you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led you deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness so that you're living, righteous living, so that you will become, there's our word, holy. In other words, you're becoming whatever you're beholding. And if you're taking notes, maybe just write that down. Whatever you're beholding in your life and you're following, you're becoming more like said thing. And Paul says, if you're beholding lawlessness and unrighteousness and the things that come from the enemy of these boxes, then you're becoming more and more that way. And if you're beholding the beauty of Jesus and the gospel and the story, the true story that God's inviting you into, you're becoming more like Jesus. You're always becoming. Our oldest turned 18 this year, Jackson. And on his 18th birthday, I sat down and I wrote him a letter to keep. And man, I sat over that for for quite a while thinking about the opening line. What's the first thing I wanna say to my son as he turns 18? And here was the opening line. Jackson, this is the day that the world says you become a man or an adult. But the truth is, son, that you're always becoming a man. You're always becoming an adult. You're always becoming the person that God made you to be. And the older we get, right? Am I right about this in the room? We realize that we haven't arrived and that we are always becoming either the version of ourselves that God created us for or a lesser version of ourselves that the enemy wants us to believe. And I don't know about you, I'm 46 now, but the older that I get, I realize that maturity doesn't come just with chronological age. Maturity comes with every choice I make. And it's a choice to become more of who God made me to be or a lesser version of who God made me to be. All right, I just, I wanna take this moment because I, I can tell you've honed in on this. For many of you, you look at your driver's license and you look at it at age and other people expect you to be at a certain place or stage of your life because of said age, because of how old you are. But the truth is every one of you, you are as mature as the choices that you're making. And you can be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old and still be a little boy because you've never grown up and you've never understood the choices that you're making are helping you to become or keeping you from becoming the person that God made you to be. And there's nothing more sad to me than seeing a grown man who acts like a child because of their choices. And I'm gonna lead the parade on that as I've done that many times in childish behavior, childish words, childish things that I've done, as I'm choosing to become a lesser version of who God made me to be. This is so important. 
you are always becoming. And you are becoming what you're beholding. This is what Paul is saying. And he says, it used to be that you were becoming more sinful because of your choices. But now, now the power of Christ is in you as followers of Jesus. But you still have to make choices in your life to follow him and to live in light of that. And just last thing on this. Go and read a little bit more of this passage. He says in verses 21, 22, he says, you know, you used to live all this way and you're ashamed of it now. You look back on how you've lived and the choices that you've made and you're filled with shame. And shame is the narrative of this world. Guys, shame is all about who you are. Guilt is all about what you've done. And as we've talked about before, there can be a godly guilt. It's called conviction where the spirit of God convicts me so that I change my behavior, not so I define myself by my behavior. God does not define us by our behaviors. He defines us by what Christ has done. But when we begin to define ourselves by our good or bad behavior, we're very close to these two boxes. When we begin to define ourselves by what Christ has done for us, I'm released I'm free from that to now follow Jesus and not be in a box of self-centeredness and regret for all the decisions I've ever made in my life or self-righteousness because I feel really good that I haven't been as bad as my neighbor. And in both ways, I'm just existing in a box, a lesser version of what God made for me to be. Here's the last thing. Don't you realize? Don't you realize that you have choice? Don't you realize, as Dr. Henry Cloud said, you are ridiculously in charge of your life? that God's given you a ridiculous amount of volition in your life to choose? And don't you realize, secondly, that you're becoming more of said choices? That whatever you're choosing to behold in your life, you're becoming more and more like that person? So you can be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old and on and not grow any closer to God because of your choices. And God allows you to do that. And then finally, Paul says, don't you realize that you were made for an eternal story? Here's all I wanna say about this. In chapter seven, he gives what seems like a strange illustration when he talks about marriage. And he says, basically, marriage is temporal. It was created for this world to enjoy. And as I tell every couple that I marry, marriage was meant to be a perfect picture of the type of relationship that God wants with every single one of us. In its fidelity, in its trust, in its love, it's meant to be a reflection of what Christ wants with us. That's why God calls us the bride of Christ and he's the groom. It's a picture, but it's temporal. It's temporary. It, it doesn't last into eternity. It was made for this world. And then Paul says, just like the law, the law was not made to go into eternity. The law was made just for this world to keep free people free. And the law, by the way, watch this. Some of us think about the law as just a fence or let's put it another way, a box. And we think about it as, I can never be good enough to get in said box, to get in this thing. I can never be good enough to get in a self-righteous place. Or I do feel like I'm self-righteous and it boxes me in because I can't relate to other people because I'm so prideful and judgmental that I can't relate and love other people and call them to the grace of Jesus. And the enemy would love for you to accept this box and to live out of it. And what Paul is saying is no, these are temporary things. You were made for something so much bigger than just the law or just being a good little boy or a good little girl. You were made to follow Jesus. The law is not a fence. The law is a front porch light. It's a light that guides you home. 
that guides you back to the heart of the Father, that guides you back to a place of knowing who you are and being loved and accepted. There's nothing like pulling up your street and seeing the light of your front porch on and recognizing that there's someone there to greet you. This is the image of what Christ has done for us. And what the law is meant to do is to orient us back to God, to show us how far away we are from God, but ultimately to pull us back into relationship with him. Okay, closing story. If I've lost you, come back for this, okay? Every day when I come here, I go the same way. When I come to this this campus, I'm going down the same road. And most days, not this morning because it was raining, but most mornings there's a gentleman walking his dog. And I always smile when I pass them because he's an older gentleman and he's always walking pretty slow and he's got this big sheep dog that's usually 10 feet, sometimes 20 feet in the summer, sometimes 50, 100 feet behind him. But they're both enjoying themselves, right? And the man waves to every single car. So I've waved to him a thousand times, waving to every car that comes by. And the dog is smiling from ear to ear, even the summer when he's panting. And if they were going any slower, they would be in reverse. I mean, it is, it is a slow pace that, that they are on. But you know what I've noticed about our friends? There's no leash. This is a busy street. There's no leash. Uh, there's no shot collar, right? There, there's no treats that are just being la- you know, laid you know, one by one to get the dog to follow. It's just a disciple and his master enjoying the company of one another and enjoying their walk. And it's clear for everyone to see by his wave and by their smiles that they're just enjoying the walk together. Dear friends, God created you to walk with him. Not to be on a leash and to pull you along or to just put treats along the way at Happy Meals so you'll just follow after him or a shot collar to make you a good little boy or a good little girl. He made you for a relationship with him, to joyfully follow him and enjoy your walk together. The enemy is always about a box for you to exist in. (laughs) that your life is just an existence of self-centeredness or self-righteousness. But God invites you into something so much more. God invites you into a garden to flourish in and to walk with him in. To Christ alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word to us today. And thank you, Lord, that um, you came to do for us what we could not and what we would not do for ourselves. And because of that, we are no longer held captive to the power of self-centeredness or self-righteousness. But now, as Paul writes, we can serve you, not in the old way of just being, trying to be perfect and obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit, meaning that we're walking in the spirit, we're walking with you and enjoying the company of one another and inviting other people to do the same. So God, I pray for each of my dear friends today that you would give us the wisdom to know what you have spoken to us through your word. And would you now give us the the faith and the courage to take what we've learned and to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.